Welcome to Question Authority, where the best and brightest marketers teach brands about the art and science of questions. Today, we're asking about zero-party data with Gen Furukawa. Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much. Not much. Doing more things. Well, again, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, dropping knowledge on folks about zero-party data, which is about as hot a topic as it can get right now for DTC brands. Man, I hope it gets hotter. <laughs> I, I hope this isn't it. <laughs> nope, this is it. This is the peak. You should yeah. sell now. <laughs> All right. I'm always curious to hear anyone's definition of personal definition of it, given that it's still it's still in its nascent state for a lot of marketers. So not to put you on the hot seat, but what's your quick definition of, of ZPD? Yeah, sure. So it, it sounds a little bit technical, but zero-party data is basically, I think it was termed by Forrester a few years ago, and it's anything that a consumer proactively and willingly shares with a brand. So normally you might think that first-party data is where everything, is, which is most important. And first-party data is all transactional. So that's like uh, what products were purchased, how many products were purchased, when they were purchased. And maybe you can also extract some other things like gender or, or location. But those are, those are all kind of like historic looking. Zero-party data is actually asking consumers about the things that are maybe more interesting to a brand. And so that's things about purchase intent, interest, goals, challenges. And these are all the things that kind of like fill in the gaps of what would make a really compelling marketing campaign. I'm, I'm definitely knee deep in this world of zero party data. And I, it's like I said, it, it sounds technical, but I think more importantly, it's what can brands actually gather directly from consumers. And so what you guys are working on, I, th I think it is as well, maybe on the post-purchase side, very similar to like, Hey, this is like where we found out about your brand, or this is what we like, or this is why we bought, why we didn't buy. And so th these are super helpful to marketers and we're trying to help merchants figure out how they can do that both to impact the on-site experience. Like, so you answer these questions, these were your responses, and therefore we think that this is the most relevant product to your needs. But then also you capture a lead or you capture a phone number, that becomes a more relevant subsequent campaign, whether it's SMS or email, paid ads, Facebook Messenger. So there are a lot of different gaps that you can fill in. But to answer your question, zero-party data is basically things that a shopper willingly and proactively shares with the brand. Yeah, that's that's a great shortcut to it because that's the differentiator that makes the the rather obscure concept of the phrase zero party data like so much more digestible. It's just like it's information that the consumer willingly gave to you. And and everything that goes around that, around how you build that data set and how you build those relationships is sprung off of that very easy to understand concept. Conceptually, it's a binary thing that, you know, people are trying to bucket it, right? To say zero party data is this and first and second and third is that. But in a large way, it's the best practices around zero party data that really allows you to say like, yeah, this is legit zero party data. And one of those things to your point, I think, is if someone else went to that consumer after the exchange and said like, do you know that you gave that information and do you have some idea of what you think they might be using it for? They should be able to say yes very confidently, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the work you're doing with prehook and the quizzes and stuff like that, a lot of times being able to have that kind of deep conversation with the consumer is really helpful to zero party data because it gives them a lot more opportunity for context, which 
a lot of times when you're trying to collect these, you know, microcosmic data points, it's difficult to squeeze in a lot of context there. And so the more you can kind of productize the experience, right, the more context you can add to it, which is helpful on, on both fronts. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this is becoming more and more at the forefront of conversation just in general when you consider what the macro trends are. And it's like iOS 14 is all of a sudden making it harder for Facebook to kind of triangulate what some of these things are. So you, you don't know. And plus, you know, in addition, third-party data is just generally going to be murkier and less precise because it's aggregated from different points. And so you don't know, A, like what the source is, or B, at what point this data was gathered and by what means. So uh, the zero-party data is something that like, there's this time element as well. Like this was, you know, a, a quiz that was completed, you know, within X number of days, months, weeks, whatever. But yeah, the, the use case of third-party data is certainly changing. And 2022, Chrome is going to be deprecating third-party cookies or, or that's going to be changing. So all of a sudden, this need to have a direct relationship with consumers is elevating in importance. And, and it's kind of like almost an urgent situation for marketers when they consider there's might be in a reliance on ads and, and kind of like a, a calculated customer acquisition cost. Well, if the attribution and the ability to target is going to be totally pulled away or, or who knows really what the outcome will be, it's just a, a far more of a, a controlled environment if you can capture that lead yourself. And, you know, that's been kind of like mm. an old strategy and, and standby statement. Like, you know, the list is the one asset that you own. Right. But then to add color to that, like, what are you, what are you talking about? What, what points are you mentioning? How are you positioning your product? And kind of like speak around that and position the product um, appropriately. Then it's a, just a far more compelling pitch. Yeah. And, you know, as you were mentioning before, again, about kind of getting to purchase intent and tough questions like that, I think these, you know, these kind of solutions are really interesting as they emerge in the face of, of third-party data, because as some of our other guests have, have said, just kind of coming to that realization that a lot of the quantitative deterministic third-party data, the stuff that is, that we think is kind of like the foundation of your, of your data set that you're going to work off of still requires that you make assumptions at the end of the day. Right. And that's where we're kind of realizing like, Oh, if we're making assumptions, like maybe we're better off just talking to these people <laughs> because as much as we worked for so long, I mean, it honestly wasn't that long, but you know, worked for maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years on like really becoming data driven. We still usually used it to fuel kind of generic assumptions that we had. And I think one of the really cool traits of, again, as we were talking about best practice, zero party data is it doesn't stereotype, right? It doesn't attempt to make guesses. So instead of saying like, okay, we know you're a 35 to 54 year old male. So we're going to make some assumptions. We just instead ask like, Hey, do you like this thing? Or like, is this the kind of stuff you're into? And that's an interesting shift from all of the assumptions that we've made over the years. And, and, and you know, a lot of times have been proven wrong about, right? Like the, the old adage of like, women running the majority of financial decisions in a household was like something no one ever gave a crap about in, in marketing for decades. Right. And it's like, Oh, well that was really dumb, but we all did it. Right. Totally. Totally. And one thing that we haven't really discussed yet is that there, there is a willingness on the consumer end to engage with this. Like it's mm -hmm. not like, you know, there there's ideally I think a, a quiz, which is conceived in a way that's thoughtful and engaging 
it, it it's fun. It offers value at the end. So me as a consumer, like I'm happy to do this. And and some of the quizzes that maybe add the most value are when I'm stuck. Like I really want something. Let's say say you know like. Um, especially in the pandemic, this has far greater implications of, you know, foundation finders, for example, like finding the right skin tone. These are things like in person are very mm. hard to decipher because there's so many different variations. So if I can like answer a few questions along the way, then in some way I've recreated the in-person experience as no longer as possible, you know, in, in, the, in a quarantined pandemic. So yeah, the, the customer experience is far improved. And there's an interesting study and a bunch of stats in, as well in terms of like what customers are looking for and what they're willing to give in terms of willing to share their personal data. Mm -hmm. If on the other end, I can get a better customer experience. So I can get like personalized right. recommendations or, or, or that I'm spoken to as an individual, as opposed to a male 35 to 54 living in the East coast. Right. So yeah, the, the willingness of consumers to kind of like play along is great. And it's also a competitive differentiator for these brands yeah. where if you do misstep or if you do speak to a person kind of like, you know, one blasted email, like th that, that actually will undermine lots of the efforts and investments that you've made in marketing campaigns because nobody wants to be, you know, one size fits all. Yeah. Just going to say, we, we often talk about a few years ago or really up until recently scaling a brand, like obviously you had to find uh, some semblance of product market fit from the product side of things, but a lot of it was like, okay, what Facebook agency am I using? And is that Facebook agency setting up my accounts correctly and optimizing my bid strategy and creative, et cetera, et cetera. And it was less so of how well do I know my customer because Facebook knows my customer and I don't necessarily need to because they do. So that's kind of been the interesting thing of how, how that's changing recently is like, okay, who knows your customer better, you or Facebook? Yeah, pe people getting sick of uh, renting their relationships, basically. And, and at this point, is that even feasible going forward, right? Like, you know, I, I think Facebook might be uh, struggling in some ways and still trying to figure out, you know, how to maintain good targeting if all these inputs are no longer available. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mitch, I don't know if you could just hear that. There was like someone moving chairs up above me. I, I thought it was a whale. <laughs> That is what I heard too. Yeah. Matt's actually on like an Arctic cruise right now. And all of that behind <laughs> you is all set up to pretend like he's actually in a room. Well, again, you made you know, one of the great points I think you, you made back there again was about the customer experience and the ability to use platforms like whether it's Prehook or Inquire Labs or any such uh, platforms that actually help build some experience and some context around the data. I think what I find really interesting about that is and when we talk a lot about the kind of the convergence of, of departments on this show, whether it's, you know, talking marketing, finance, customer service, product, but as you productize the conversational data process, right? As you build platforms, like, like both of you, both of you guys are building to kind of productize data collection and that relationship and that exchange, you start to converge on the user experience concept of surprise and delight, right? And that, and so now you start to become kind of this hybrid of product and marketing where it's like, and it makes perfect sense that you would end up, end up working a lot with product on that front to say, right? Like, I mean, surprise and delight is a, as far as I know, is a concept that marketers stole from product developers years ago <laughs> and, and was always a little bit dubious that they use that term. But in this case, I think it's actually true that so much of, as you mentioned, the the power of inserting your brand into it and how you engage with the customer 
dictates a lot of what their experience is going to be. And if you can deliver that surprise and delight to them in the midst of collecting the data, then you're really starting to build something up there. And to the point I was making, you're, you're starting to blend into product a lot where it becomes almost kind of, if you're doing it well, a lot of times it can become indecipherable between what is, you know, what is a product experience and what is the marketing experience? Yeah. Mitch and I have kind of really started talking more about this whole concept of uh, direct from consumer kind of DFC. The whole idea is to get people to start thinking less in a sense of selling directly to and more around building relationships and how can like, how can I gather data directly from my consumers or directly from my customers rather? And I'm just curious, kind of if you were, if you were talking to a brand today, like how would you, how would you be pitching more from a macro level is less so of like, let's segment your emails better, but more so where, where things are going um, and why this type of strategy is so important. Yeah, man, DFC, that's great. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think business-wide, and so, I, you know, like I said, I've spent so much time in like this software space, software as a service space, e-commerce in particular, talking with a lot of direct-to-consumer brands and really like the differentiator of those that do well and, and those that are able to stay ahead of the curve is really like how close they can be to the customer, what kind of conversations and, and learnings mm. can they gather from the customer. And, you know, that that's good if you're having one-off conversations with a sales team or support or inbound, whatever. But if you're able to scale that, you can get a lot from that. And I think that might be one of the biggest takeaways is this constant stream of uh, what your customers are thinking, what they're looking for, what what pains they're experiencing, or even if they're not signing up, like why didn't they sign up? And so that's, you're getting like the positive side, those that did sign up, uh, why they actually did or where they heard about it. What about those that didn't? And so that's kind of like an insight into what competitors are doing or where there might be holes in your strategy that can be, that can be plugged. One really good example of this is uh, Third Love and Heidi Zach. So Third Love is mm. a directing consumer lingerie brand. And maybe seven years ago, they, they were started really from this pain point of like bra shopping is such a, a hassle. It's a challenge, like finding the right fit. Heidi Zach was experiencing this herself realized that there was a better opportunity to find better fitting, more comfortable bras. They realized that one of the big challenges that their customers were having was finding the right fit. And so people would buy a bra and it, it still wouldn't fit. And so they came up with this notion of a fit finder. And so this is maybe like one of the first direct-to-consumer uh, quizzes. And they just recently updated it. So I was doing a lot of like digging into it and, and research. And I think that it's a, a great quiz both visually, but then also what, what happens on the back end with the quiz results. So I think they've had maybe like 18 million people take the quiz and like uh -huh. hundred million data points. And so from that, they're able to identify where their gaps in the market. So for example, they have now have 80 different sizes and they've kind of innovated with this half size, which didn't exist before. And so that's something that came out from like people saying, Hey, these don't fit. Like, do you have this size or this size? And so they, they came up with a half size. And so it's this like foresight into the customer's shortcomings and where, where they can have those needs met by a product that Third Love would give. So Matt, to answer the question, like I, I think that is the biggest value prop of a quiz is just like a constant stream of usable data that's easy to analyze and pull out where there might be opportunities in the product or the messaging or the marketing, um, but basically the, the customer experience as a whole. That's awesome. And that, and again, I think that's another great example because think about how many millions of women like 
don't feel comfortable going through the process in a brick and mortar store, especially when it's not like the right fit is out there and they just haven't found it yet. It could, it could easily be that the answer is like, there isn't one for you. So this is what you get. And contrast that old school approach to like, oh, it's just like a rite of passage or this is just your life as a human being. You have to deal with it with like, nope, here's a, here's a bunch of really useful, detailed information that will help you get the answer that you want. And then we will make the thing for you. That's like what Kings of England used to have. <laughs> now I have it on my computer. <laughs> yeah. That to me is a great example, whether it's, you know, whether it's shopping for bras, whether it's like hair loss stuff, things like that, car buying, any, you know, anything that people are like, I don't want, I don't even want to do the thing that I'm supposed to do to, to get the right, you know, product from this. And it's like, that's, that's always a good uh, subsector to dive into and be like, hmm, we could, we could probably solve this with a, a better customer experience. I was curious, kind of now that we're talking about quizzes, pre-purchased quizzes, do you have any kind of off the cuff, like best practices for this? Like, Hey, ask an email within the first three questions. So it's not too low in the funnel if you're trying to increase list growth or just, just kind of curious. Cause there's with these quizzes, like there's just so many different ways that you could build these. Um, it could be two or three questions. It could be, I, I actually just helped do some uh, consulting project for a brand. I think their quiz is like 30 steps. Oh yeah. And like yeah, yeah. I was just going through, I was like, this is too much for me just to do once. Like <laughs> the completion rate can't be more than like 20 basis points for this thing. Um, so yeah, do you, I'm curious. And I guess it all depends on the brand and kind of what they're using it for, but just kind of curious if you've just general recommendations. Yeah. So, you know, like something like that, like stitch fix is an example. They're, they're, subscription clothing brand and they have a question a quiz that's like 80 questions or something but wow the, think of like the the value that it's adding and it's not that hard a lot of those questions are kind of like tinder swipe left or swipe right but my rule of thumb for like how long a quiz should be is really like as short as possible while getting everything that you need so stitch fix is basically like a data science company they're they're aggregating so many data points because if you think of on the business side they need to make sure that Every single month, they're sending a, a box of goods that is right on point with what I, as a consumer, are looking for. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you again, but I'd argue that Stitch Fix has done a good job of aligning their brand and like what they are as a company with that quiz. Yeah. Go to Stitch Fix, and you're like, oh, I need to answer all 80 of these questions because I don't want them to send right. me, I don't know, something for big and tall and I'm only five, six kind of thing. Like, yeah. So yeah, no, that's a, that's a interesting thing. I haven't thought about more of like how other brands too, like outside of stitch fix could probably do a better job with that and just kind of including some of that in their marketing copy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's a great point. But it, you know, if you, if you break it down, it's really like, what's the exchange of value. So that's right. exactly it with, I'm, I'm happy to answer those 80 questions. Cause at the end, you know, every month I'll get a box that's right on point with what my tastes are. If I say, forget it, I don't really care. I just click like, you know, the same button every time. I'm going to have a shitty customer experience on the back end. And like, that's, this is a wasted effort and, and more of a hassle return and whatever. So yeah, I think Stitch Fix does a good job for a longer quiz. There are other quizzes that are almost like clinical. If you look at like some of the kind of medically based, you know, Kim's mm. Roman, yeah. like those kind of things, that's almost like a medical intake form. And mm. so it's like kind of a little bit of like, questionnaire to survey even that is arguably probably done from a branding perspective because it's like we we want you to think 
Uh, not that they're wrong, but <laughs> like we want you to think this is a legitimate pro health product that you know you could get prescribed from a doctor, rather than like a thing that you were drunk and tapped on Instagram at like three in the morning. So totally, one or two of those questions might actually really matter, and there's like thirty just to create that yeah. level of confidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Mitch, I guess at three in the morning, we know which product you're looking for. <laughs> That's going to do it for us today. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and rating the show. Check out Gen's company, prehook.com, to build interactive quiz experiences. Question Authority is made possible by Enquire Labs the leading post-purchase survey provider for over 1,500 DTC brands. To learn more and grab a 14-day free trial, check out EnquireLabs.com. See you next time.